Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking all about frittatas and egg casseroles. And you may be thinking, how good can a frittata be? Well, recently I had a life-changing frittata and I'm going to share all the things I learned about it with Carrie and she's going to share all the things she knows about breakfast egg casseroles. Stay tuned for more. Hi, good morning. Good morning. It's been a minute. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to catch up with you. Just, I feel like we never get enough days to talk. No, no. I'm really excited to catch up. So one thing that happened recently that, of course, made me think of you was I was helping a friend um, who was hired to chef a retreat. So I was like the sous chef or assistant to her, uh, which is I kind of love. It's been a long time since I've been an assistant to someone, and it was just really fun. But any anyway, nice break. Yeah. You're you don't have to be so responsible. You can just kind of like take it um, instructions. It that that kind of situation always reminds me of how much I just love cooking. Not all the other stuff like the responsibility and the communication and all of that. It's just like the joy of the cooking. Yeah, that's right. You're just there to chop and clean and oh, nice. arrange things and it's you don't have to think a lot. So you kind of get in a Zen state of just like doing the task. Yeah, it was sort of a real gift to be able to do that. And of course, whenever I'm cooking in any kind of retreat setting, I think of you. Carrie and I used to chef or co-chef retreats together and it was a way that we really became so much closer and started to really collaborate on food. And so I can't even be like cooking in any kind of cabin-like setting, nature-like <laughs> setting without thinking of you. So it was re- that part was already special. Really lovely. Yeah. Well, that takes true. me back to – also, I was pregnant, if you remember. I'm sure you remember that. I was pregnant and then Mac was like a newborn when we yes. did those three retreats together. So that was a real wild time of my life. Being in that kitchen with you was such a it was such a beautiful safe space. You know, we really we worked so hard then, but we've had some of our best fights in those moments <laughs> where, we, where we we were really debating the merits of diff- adding different ingredients to egg salad. And I also just want to say one other weird side note that you'll appreciate so this place is like a, a this place that I went to is a space in the woods designed for retreat. So there's kind of like a main home structure, and there's a caretaker for the property. And that person was like the same person as the caretaker of the property where you and I did the retreat in Ojai. It was oh, wow. a red haired man with the same kind of warm, kind eyes and energy. Oh. And I was like, how did I get so lucky to have two retreats with two warm? kind, red-haired men. (laughs) That's a really funny synchronicity. I remember that. Oh, and we would like in the afternoons, we would go outside and eat our, you know, have our breaks and talk to him. And yeah, wow. What a cool thing. It was a total synchronicity, as you said. Okay. So back to the retreat. There was this thing that Lauren Chandler, the chef um, and my friend made that I've almost never in my life seen a reaction to food as I did to this thing that she made. So she made a frittata. (laughs) And I don't think one necessarily ever thinks of frittatas as like a wow dish that everyone's going to lose their mind. 
eating. And I'm- yeah, no, I was going to say, I think frittatas are, um, the frittatas that I've made in the past are always really beautiful, but I am always kind of like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You know, yeah, and listen, they're, they're dishes I make. I put in all the things that I, that I like, but I'm always like a little bit like not wowed with a frittata. I think it's hard to be wowed by a frittata. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I think they're wonderful. Like you said, they can be beautiful. They serve a purpose. They serve they're, a purpose. They're like a protein at a brunch or a lunch or whatever. Like they're a- They're almost, again, like a casserole of the morning, yeah, right? Yeah, a casserole of the morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So she makes this frittata and I swear for a half an hour straight, because people are like come in and get their plates of food and come out. There's sort of like a staggered um, family style buffet brunch. All I'm hearing is, oh my God, this frittata. Oh my God, this frittata. What's in this frittata? Everyone's losing their minds. Okay, wait, you got to tell me what's it. Wait, should we back before we go yeah. into, I'm really, we're going to leave a cliffhanger here. Um, what's in the frittata? We, I think we have to define what a frittata is mm-hmm. and like the difference between a frittata, what I grew up eating, which a casserole of the morning, we call it an egg casserole, but I've heard in fancier circles it called an egg strata, which is like eggs and some kind of bread baked together. There's yeah. a pasta frittata, which, which is similar to a kugel. It's eggs and noodles. But then there's also the quiche. I would say there's the quiche. Which I, is got, which, so yeah. a, a frittata is kind of like a crustless quiche. What omelet. I was just about to say. It's okay. like I would call it a crustless quiche. I would call it a baked omelet. Yeah. I would call it just like a baked scrambled egg dish because it's not like shakshuka, which is a baked egg dish where you keep the eggs whole. Yes. This is really like scrambled. Which is, belongs in this category, I think, a shakshuka. Shuka or my friend, one of my friends makes an egg curry, which is kind of yes. like an a, which is kind of like shakshuka, but the eggs are fully cooked. Like you cook the eggs before they go in and then they kind of bubble in the, anyway, and you serve that with rice. Yeah. Once you dive into the whole baked egg category, you find that there's a lot of different things. I think we're missing about, you know, 20 or 30 dishes, but frittatas, stratas are very popular, especially in the United States. Like, I don't know about all over the world, but they're very popular here. Okay. So to me, it's frittatas defined as like scrambled eggs of some kind and usually some kind of cream, ideally. I'm just talking about traditionally. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that- Well, this is what I'm going to- this okay. is what I'm going to share with you. I feel like cream is in a quiche. And I, when I've done frittatas, they're always just straight eggs- and then some kind of vegetable. You can always add, you can add meat if you want to. And I don't cheese. think you. I think like any recipe, like you're gonna find versions with or without cream. And if you go with the crustless quiche definition, then it would have cream. But I agree with you. Not everyone makes frittatas with cream. And in fact, Lauren was telling me typically she never makes frittatas with cream or dairy. So. To your point, I think it's very common to just make scrambled eggs and add, throw in some vegetables, like you said, throw in some meat if you want sausage or something, or throw in some cheese, or even just keep it veggie and different mix. You know, people do asparagus frittatas, leek frittatas, tomato frittatas. There's so many kinds. Yeah. Um, okay. So do you want to know a I'm, secret? I'm dying to know. What is the secret <laughs> of this quiche that or this frittata that people are like really disgusting? Lauren – and I talked about it at length because I also ate the frittata and I was like, I what cannot believe how good this is. So a couple things and she's like, look, I never make it with cream, but this time I made it with – this time she went and followed like traditional frittata ratios. So she went to some classic recipe. I don't know which one. I'm sure there's 
several good ones online or, you know, Julia Child or someone. She found like the classic frittata ratio, however many eggs per person plus cream, a certain ratio of cream. That was step one. And she was like, it really makes a difference. Like who knew? Like the cream makes a difference. Yeah, and then for me, part of the lure of a frittata is that it just like doesn't have rules. Like I just want to like throw – like if I have five people eating, if I have 10 people eating, I just want to like throw a bunch of eggs into it, beat them, and then throw some vegetables in and throw some cheese on top and throw it in the oven. Like, But like you and I said, that's delicious and fine, but is that right. going to make everyone stop in their tracks? No, you're right. You're right. So okay, I'll shut up So the up stop in <laughs> – no, because I don't disagree with you. I, like you, almost never add cream. I'm not looking at a recipe book. I'm throwing things in a pan and throwing them in the oven or even in a pyro. Like yeah. that's what I'm doing. So I agree with you. And yet then I had this kind of life-changing for Todd. I'm like, oh, there's rules sometimes for a reason. Right. And that's what Lauren and I together discovered, even though it was her doing, like we were in this process of discovery in the kitchen. So the other big secret, I think that's part of it. But to be fair, I think Lauren actually deserves more credit than she was giving herself because there were two fundamental secret ingredients that changed the game for this. One was copious amounts of caramelized onion. And I mean copious and I mean true caramelized onion, not browned onion. She took the time, 45 minutes or an hour, to take a boatload of onions and get them jammy and brown and translucent and caramelized. And she made it like days in advance so that the morning of, she was just throwing it all together. She made made the onions days in advance. Those were made ahead of time. And she took the time to really – do them. And onions, eggs, great combination. Okay. So the caramelized- She caramelizes all these onions. Caramelizes all these onions. Just like a basic brown onion, basic white onion, or was it like a mix of onions? Did she use shallots? It was just like a basic onion. I truly don't know, but from what I can tell, it was your standard white onion. Okay. Could have been red onion. I don't think it truly matters. I think what matters is that you're actually patiently caramelizing and not browning. And so then if you've ever made caramelized onions, you know, they're kind of- they're kind of gooey. They're um, jammy. They're I jammy. like that word that you use. Yeah. yeah. They're gooey. They're jammy. And they're very, very sweet. And you don't mm-hmm. add any sweetness to them. What turns, what happens, the chemicals, the way it's released in the caramelization mm-hmm. process, the sugars sort of are accentuated in the onion without getting into the food science of it. And you have this really sweet product. So, okay, eggs and sugar is actually something. It's very traditional in Japanese cooking. And really? Other, oh, yeah. Like to, if you think of uh, in sushi rolls like tamago or oh, – yeah. yeah, you know. Okay. So, yeah, in Japanese cooking, it's it's very traditional to add sugar to eggs and to even add it to egg salad. Like traditional egg sandos have a little sugar added to the egg salad really? mix. Yes. The natural sweet, sweetness of the caramelized onions, you could really taste it. You tasted okay. more – Sweetness than onion flavor in this frittata. Secret ingredient. So this was secret ingredient number one, and there's another secret ingredient. There's another secret ingredient that blew my mind. I'm on the edge of my chair. Okay, right now. Tarragon. Oh, tarragon. Wow. Fresh like a tarragon. Lot of tarragon. A lot of fresh tarragon and a lot Cooked of in or put on top. Cooked in. So what she did, she took a lot of fresh herbs, like a ton of parsley. I think we had basil on hand. I couldn't even tell you. I don't think it matters. I think you could use dill. I could use, think you could use scallions. I think you're you could always use... looking for more reasons to put dill into things. Dill <laughs> goes in everything for me. But that's because I'm from Ukraine, uh, in my lineage, where dill is king, the king of herbs. No, I think you could use any herbs on hand. But if you wanted to play it safe and be true to this 
Lauren Chandler recipe, you would probably stick to parsley and tarragon. And I don't know what it did, but it did something magic. Oh, and then the last thing that I know she added was a very generous amount of white cheddar cheese, which just melted. You couldn't even tell there was cheese in it because it was like just cut really thin and small and just layered into the eggs and all. It's just like salty and umami into that whole mixture of cream and eggs (laughs) and cheese. I mean, that sounds outrageous. And then the, the brightness of the herbs is probably, so those herbs were all cooked in. Yeah, like added so to the – so you scramble the eggs and uh-huh. then you add the cream. And we're not talking about a crazy amount of cream, but again, ratios. You add, you add the caramelized onion, you add the cheese, and then you add in like handfuls of chopped, finely chopped herbs and you whisk that all together and then you pour it into your cast iron or into your Pyrex or whatever oven-proof baking so dish. The, so the, the bat- – it's basically you've created a batter, an egg batter – because that's not at all how I I do a frittata. I usually start my cast iron and I and I saute vegetables, and then I pour the eggs in. So what you're saying is like basically everything is assembled ahead of time. You create this batter, and then do you pour the batter into the cast iron cold, I or don't. is the cast iron? That's a that's a detail I want to know. We I'll have to go back and ask, but I would say that I don't pour it. I mean, I've done it both ways, to be fair, actually. I've poured in um, frittata batters into cold baking dishes, and I've done it in hot cast irons. I think it must get a little more browned if it's hot, but it works either way. Because at that point, you don't have to be married to a cast to cast iron, which I think not everybody has cast iron. No, nope. you know, but everybody has like a Pyrex or a some dish. kind of some kind of casserole dish of of any kind. Um, I feel like that's kind of like a real standard. In and those you food. don't really heat up in advance, right? Like you no. don't. Yes, so you would just fill up your Pyrex. Now I don't know what Lauren did. I'll have to double check and report okay. back. Maybe we'll add it to some show notes. But the point is less the, you know, there's about 4 trillion frittata recipes online. And I think if you want to find like the baking temperature, the length, all of those are going to be pretty consistent. But I think the ingredients, like what you're adding, that is actually what mattered the most here. Yeah. Listen, I think as someone who didn't experience this frittata, I think what I would be looking for, if you're going to go back and talk to Lauren, I want to know what, what was the recipe that she used? The ratio recipe, was it from Julie? a child. I'd love to see that in the show notes because I want to I want to know. I want to have a life-changing frittata in my life. Oh, yeah. You know, we all need the, one. <laughs> we all need a life-changing frittata. But also like is tarragon – I feel like I can mostly get it here in California most of the time. But her tarragon was fresh, right? So right we're now, not using I mean, dried tarragon. We're not using dried tarragon. Um, typically, you it is seasonal. Like here – you can only get the farmer's market sort of spring through, I think through fall. Summer. Okay. Yeah. We can't get it. I've never seen it in the winter, in the winter. but I have seen it in the winter in the market, like in the in the supermarket okay. or a Whole Foods or, you know, here we have new seasons. I don't think it's always the easiest herb to find, but it yeah. typically is in those fresh herb clamshells that you find in the grocery store. 
And if you can okay. grow a little tarragon or get your hands on some at a farmer's market, it's obviously great. I would say even if for some reason you can't find any tarragon anywhere, like I think the caramelized onion may be enough to really right. – and I, and I would even play around with other fresh herbs. I think part of it is just having a strong fresh herb. Like my step – my ex-stepmother um, actually made a really delicious frittata when she came to visit me this, this past year and she added fresh oregano to hers. And it was delicious. It was so good. I would never think to add fresh oregano because I feel like that can be so intense. I would never have added fresh oregano either. And I have to say it was so delicious. And I think it was like she didn't add too much, but she added enough that it gave – I think there's something about strong tasting fresh herbs, oregano, mm-hmm. tarragon, a basil, right? Any of those right. herbs – Something with the eggs, like it really brings out the flavor of the herbs or marries well. So the look of the frittata was there, There you have sort of the, I guess the golden color of the eggs, but then it's, they're speckled with green mm-hmm. and then it's, is it speckled with like the darkness of the of tiny, the, yeah, a little bit, tiny but bits. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess like I think I really my, my sort of visual of a frittata is like a asparagus frittata, mm-hmm. right? It's like. It's golden with like big pieces of green in it. And then usually I feel like an asparagus frittata or a spinach frittata has, I'm always putting goat cheese. That's my, goat cheese is always my, a chef um, is always kind of my go-to or a, or a feta. I think say that's feta, a nice one. Yeah. Like chunks of white mm-hmm. and chunks of green in this golden mm-hmm. baked. But yeah, I guess to your point, it's like, I want to go and experience this. The thought of a frittata is a lot sexier than than the real the reality of it for me. I'm always like, oh, I'm so interested in this, and how great I get to use my cast iron and it, the photograph of it and the and the laying it out onto a buffet. It's always such a wowed dish, and then it's always like, eh, I'd rather eat the potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. So, but I was gonna also bring up because. Lauren's frittata made me think of your morning egg casserole or egg strata. So yeah, so I grew up eating what was referred to as just egg casserole, where I was, where I'm from, and the basic idea is that you've got some day old bread and you and you just kind of tear it up roughly. I mean, you can you can make it into little cubes um, if you wish to, but we would just kind of tear it up roughly, lay it into a casserole dish, and then there is a ratio which. Over the years, I've just gotten lazy in my application of, but it's like a dozen eggs, a couple cups of milk. You add a little bit of dried mustard, which adds kind of just like gives it another layer of flavor, salt and pepper. Like a, like and, a hidden tanginess that you can't really Yeah, it place. just it elevates it a little bit, which I think there were a couple of times when I forgot it and I noticed. Mm. It was just like more – it was just really bland. A lot of times my family would put in browned sausage – pre-cooked sausage and then cooled. It's really like a complete meal. It's sort of like the idea of like scrambled eggs, sausage and toast and then and then a lot of cheese on top. And in some ways, you know, it's funny that you you remember it from that retreat. One of the things that came out of that retreat for me was it was a group of people we offered all kinds of additional condiments and one of the things that came out of that for me was adding tapatio to the top of that of that casserole, egg casserole, which just changed, just like up-leveled it for me in like a way that I had never experienced before. So good. And 
And now, this wasn't also something I did before, but now whenever I eat baked macaroni and cheese, uh-huh. I always add like a tapatio, you know, or uh-huh. Cholula on on top of that and just elevates it. It's almost like you need to break up that that real cheesy richness with something that's vinegary. Because I also yes. don't like with sriracha, which I like sriracha as a hot sauce, but it doesn't do the same thing as like those vinegary Frank's Red Hot. And it's also um, not too vinegary. Like it isn't Tabasco, which is heavy vinegar. It's vinegar. like it's like yeah. very chilly forward, but with that note of acidity and, and that brightness, it yeah. does so, so well. Wait, but can we back up? Because yes, I actually egg- haven't made your egg casserole in a long time. I remember there were a few like really important things that make it a smart dish for when you have people over, like let's say you're hosting a brunch or let's say you have family staying at your house and you want to have like an easy breakfast. So I remember you making them the night before. You make it, you have to make it the night before. That's kind of the most brilliant part of it. And that's where I think it's, it really is such a popular dish in the Midwest and in a crowd of families, I had clients that would, they called it a breakfast strata but that was their like Christmas morning. They would assemble it the day a day or two ahead of time. And then when you wake up on Christmas morning and everyone's everyone's unwrapping gifts, you can just throw it into the oven and like an hour later it's ready to go. And you know, I've definitely used the egg casserole, like if we've gone on vacation with another family or something, you you make it the night before put it in the fridge overnight and then just pull it out and bake it. And like in an hour, the whole house smells delicious. So it's like, so it's the torn up bread and then you whisk up the eggs with some milk and then you pour it over the bread. And if you've nuzzled like in some sausage, you can do that or you can just top cheese. Yes. And you can nestle cheese in or you can put cheese on top. Okay, there's You can do it both ways. I realize I don't actually like – bacon in it, the bacon gets kind of flabby. You know, mm-hmm. it's sausage is a much better use of that, but I'm I'm not a sausage lover. So I generally make it vegetarian. And then you could always like stick a sheet pan of bacon in the oven yes, and have it as a side. I do. Yes. Yeah. I do a sheet pan of bacon and on the side. If I ate bacon, I would do that. That makes sense to me. Yes. But I loved it just with cheese and egg, I mean and bread. And then topped with hot sauce. Like that to me with a little side of fruit was heaven in the morning. It's kind of perfect. Yeah. Cause it's got, it's a little bit of carb. It's a little bit of protein. It's a little bit of cheese, which kind of makes it feel not sad. Like it's, you know, it's like the cheese adds, especially if you're, my instinct is always to add like a really sharp cheddar. Um, I don't love like a mozzarella in this cause I yeah. don't think it's really, it doesn't add enough flavor, but there have been times when I've done like a fontina, when I've made mm-hmm. it kind of an Italian one where it's like fontina and Parmesan and that's that's nice. Do you have to take the crust off the bread when you're cubing it? It depends on which kind of bread you're using. So if you're using like a – almost like a wonder bread or something like that, you know, there's not a lot of crustiness, but – I typically buy like a sourdough loaf. And so if you've got something that's really crusty on the outside, um, a baguette is a great place. If you've got like a like a day-old baguette that you you kind of can't really get, you know, at that point it's kind of dried out or whatever, that's perfect because part of the, the great thing about this dish is that it does need – like you're not going to make it the day of. Generally speaking, for at least the way we've used it is for a breakfast dish or a brunch dish. 
And you need more time than even if you were to get up at six in the morning and make it, it needs to sit and soak for a while. That's part of like the lure is that it all sticks together. It is like a casserole. It's like a, it's, it's very uniform in that texture. And you want that dry bread that's going to absorb liquid because fresh bread won't absorb liquid as much as a drier bread. Yes, exactly. And this isn't where you're looking to like showcase a fancy, some kind of fancy bread that's like crusty and whatever. It's like you really want it to be this really soft, comforting, almost like a mac and cheese. The idea of like a like a mac and cheese where everything's really soft. Yes. You know? Well, I love this. I feel like also like there can never be enough cra- like crowd pleasing brunch dishes in our repertoire, Agreed. right? Like Agreed. you just there are just times when you need to feed a crowd or want to feed a crowd. And the other thing I think about both these dishes, both a frittata. And a strata or egg casserole is like it really can be a lunch dish. You could gussy it up and make it a dinner dish because it's really um, savory and flavorful. And like you said, a complete meal. It really works at different times of day. I have a good question for you because because I grew up with the egg casserole. A quiche wasn't really something that I ate a lot of until. But do you have a like a go to quiche that you like? It's funny you say that because I actually grew up eating a fair amount of quiche. I feel like it was really popular in the eighties and nineties to make quiche. Don't you? It was just like a thing people did. I mean, it wasn't where I was from. Really? Okay. People ate the egg casserole. But yeah, I do think that there's – when I think of a quiche, I think of like Williams-Sonoma. You know, it oh. feels like that very – it feels fancy to me. It's like it's French. It's mm. – Yes, obviously quiche is traditionally French. The word itself is French. I and don't like, I know. Think of like a quiche Lorraine. Is it yes. a quiche Lorraine? quiche Lorraine like, is French like, with ham and cheese, ham, right? Right. We, of course, didn't eat pork growing up and we were not French. And I never thought of quiche as fancy. I just thought of it as like egg vegetable pie. Like usually it had like a lot of spinach and I think feta or some kind of cheese like that and egg. That was like the kind of quiche we grew up eating. And I know a lot of friends across the country who also had similar. And I don't know if this is a Jewish community thing. I imagine it could be true for lots of communities. But there are like a lot of my Jewish friends growing up. Everyone has their own like especially spinach quiche. And maybe it's because it's such a great – holiday food. There's a lot of rules in Judaism about like you can't actually cook on the Sabbath, but you can warm things up or you can't cook on certain holidays, but you can keep things warm. So quiche is one of those things that really works as like a lunch right, on a Sabbath kind of meal. Yeah. Or But anyway, yeah, we grew up with quiches. And then I, as in my life, I think maybe because I didn't love them growing up, something about the buttery crust actually isn't what I want with my eggs. Like the bread is what I want with my eggs, if this makes sense. Pastry is not really what I want with my eggs, my personal palate. So I don't make a ton of quiche. Yeah. You know, it's funny. As we're having this conversation, it really reminds me of um, there is a girl here that she makes what she calls greens pie. Her name is Danielle Bell. She has a catering company called Depores with her partner. And he cooks and she cooks and they're, they're partners in life and in business. But she makes this she – ha, she has a lot of – she's from Kentucky. And so she has this sort of southern take on – I don't think she would describe it as a quiche, but it's like this – incredibly buttery pastry and then a very heavy greens filling, which I'm guessing has some egg in it and then a lot of cheese. I would prefer that. I mean, I that would take to her, me is like a I would take her greens pie over almost anything in life. It's really 
well, decadent I and wonderful. I had the great fortune of trying I say, it. I, yes, yes. Yes, you gave it to me as a gift on one visit and it was so incredible. But, but to it's me, not eggy, right? No, it's, I wouldn't call yeah. that a quiche. I would no. call that a greens pie greens similar pie. to the spinach pie. And I've actually seen versions of that with like a lot of cheddar, like spinach and, and cheese, like in like a pre-made pie crust. Like I've seen people do that. And some people call it spinach pie and some people call it quiche. I guess – who cares, right? What tastes good and like – Well, I guess like the question – when you're talking about a quiche or a greens pie, the thing that I find the most fascinating experience of Danielle's pie in particular is that no part of that crust is soft. The crust itself is is such an achievement. <laughs> and I find that generally speaking, like if you go to like a French restaurant and have a, a quiche – the bottom part of that crust is always like really soft or, or worse than soft. You a know, soggy it, bottom? It's soggy bottom. <laughs> and I don't like a soggy bottom at all. And that's the thing that I always, every time I eat Danielle's pie, I just sit there and I'm like, how does she do this? I just still don't know how. And I honestly don't care. I don't need to make her greens pie. I just want her to make it. We've solved the root problem of quiches. If it's a soggy bottom quiche, it's not yeah. for us. Don't bring and your if- soggy bottom quiche to my brunch. <laughs> <laughs> beware people <laughs> beware. beware yeah well this is another fun illuminating conversation I'm willing to really think differently about the ratios and you know I guess in some ways I would just call it my own laziness it's like I just don't like to measure things I don't like to pay attention to ratios and for me, I've always thought like a frittata is just this thing you kind of throw together. And clearly your friend Lauren, all of the thought that she put into it has really revealed a, a next level frittata that she unlocks un, undeniable, undeniable in what you're what you're describing with the uzanas of the people eating it. And we'll definitely link Lauren in the show notes so you can find out more about what she does. She's also an amazing cooking instructor as well as a chef. So, And I will follow up with her to add some notes about the ratio and the original recipe. Okay, so before we go, you know, I want to ask you, do you have a favorite bite of food from this week? Okay, so I think that my favorite bite of food this week was I made a bolognese. Mm. Um, or I should say I had made bolognese a few weeks ago and I had – I froze it and then I pulled it out one night when we were really – we didn't have a plan. There was nothing – there was no plan and there was no food in the house. And it was such a decadent – I was really thanking myself for pre-planning that. Mm-hmm. And it was the – I really like that Marcella Hazan recipe. I just think it's so delicious. Yeah, um, she's a legend. Essentials of Italian Cooking is I think a must-have for everyone's bookshelf. Um, I don't have that book. Can you oh, well, that? yeah. Well, we'll have to change that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll so, have to talk about your you cookbook never... collection is so next level. You have <laughs> such a great – you have such a great cookbook collection. I'm a little bit of a cookbook, cookbook nerd. Yes. So bolognese, I feel like, would have been my favorite bite of the week had I had that. What was your – did you have a favorite bite of the week? I did. It's kind of a, a unexpected answer, I think. So I had my nieces visiting and they're um, just about eight years old and the younger one is five and a half. And 
I wanted to make, we'd been eating kind of a lot of treats, you know, over the weekend. And so I wanted to make a really nourishing meal. Mm -hmm. And so I made, I roasted up some Japanese sweet potatoes with just a few like mild spices, nothing spicy. And I made tacos with them, like Japanese sweet potato tacos. We oh had, my gosh. Wait, I have to know more. Did you use corn tortillas yes. or flour tortillas? Okay. So I think corn I gave, tortillas. I think I gave the girls an option to have flour and they chose flour. I had mine with corn. Okay. And I think Jonathan had both. So just roasted. And then what, what did you put in them? Really it- good guacamole. Shredded lettuce, shredded iceberg. Oh, you love iceberg. I love iceberg. I love yeah. iceberg in a taco. Um, oh, yeah. I love iceberg, period. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, but if you're going to use iceberg in a taco, why wouldn't you just use some romaine? Because I didn't have romaine. I, I also wouldn't want romaine in a taco. I want iceberg or I want thinly sliced cabbage. Romaine is the same as Not iceberg. To me. Not to oh, me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like the same application. Not to me. All it doesn't right. taste the same. It texturally feels different. I don't know. For me, iceberg is like so specific. Anyway, I can't remember all the little things. We had like little fixings. I had made some flavorful rice. We had a little beans, but it was really those sweet potato tacos and the girls loved them. Like love. Was them. there anything creamy in there? The guacamole was really creamy. The guacamole. Creamy. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. All right. They were plant-based yeah. tacos that had – great. And it was just like scrounging up stuff I had in the fridge because I just didn't want to go to the store. Oh, and lime, like a Good squeeze a of squeeze lime. Of lime. That's nice. It honestly was so lime simple. and sweet potato is so. It's like a great combination. It really yeah. elevates that flavor. Like it was a really unexpected wow. hit with the kids because I, I wasn't sure that. they would like that. But I also just have been really into the purple Japanese sweet potatoes. Like purple on the outside, white on the inside. Right, right. I, they okay. have a different flavor and they have a different texture. They're a little yeah. drier. Yeah, they're so, more like a potato yes. than they are like a root vegetable. Yes. Good. I'm going to have to look for those and see if I can find them. Do you you buy yours at the farmer's market? No, I get or them. Or do you at, get them at the grocery store? Yeah, I get them at the grocery store. And they're pretty – well, I'm officially starving. Why are we always so hungry? Always. I'm because so we've, hungry. We talk about food for 40 <laughs> minutes. I mean, it's, you know, in our recipes. And I feel like I have a, a purpose moving forward to try this frittata, <laughs> to really caramelize my onions, to source some tarragon, and to make this frittata. And, like, it feels like it has the potential to change my life. I'm really excited for you to try it. I want you to take pictures and let us all know what happens. Okay. It's okay. a deal. All right. All have right. a lovely rest of your week. You too. Bye. Right. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. Happy cooking and eating.